Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is giving the president a deadline. He has until Thursday to release the transcript of his call with Ukraine's president, subject of a whistleblower complaint. It reportedly says that President Trump tried to pressure the Ukrainian president to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son. The president appeared to acknowledge at least that that conversation took place on Sunday. Conversation I had was largely congratulatory was largely the fact that we don't want our people, like Vice President Biden and his son, creating to the the corruption already in the Ukraine. Joining me is Andrew Kent, a professor at Fordham Law School. Andrew, this complaint comes under the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act passed in 1998. Tell us what's supposed to happen when a whistleblower comes forward. Well, some of the things, June, that were supposed to happen actually already have uh, the whistleblower is supposed to transmit a uh, the complaint to what's called the Inspector General of the for the Intelligence Committee, and that happened. That Inspector General is supposed to decide whether the complaint is credible or not, and that happened. The, the Inspector General determined it to be credible. And then what has also happened is that Inspector General is supposed to forward it to the Director of National Intelligence, uh, and he did that. And at that point, it's supposed to be transmitted to Congress. That's where the breakdown has happened. The, the director of national intelligence is, is withholding the document from the uh, congressional intelligence committees. And why is he holding it? What are the reasons stated? Well, you know, some people think there may be an underlying claim of some kind of executive privilege of the president. But for now, uh, the uh, director of national intelligence is merely saying, pointing to this statute that you mentioned, that the complaint does not, uh, does not uh, talk about a, quote, urgent concern facing the intelligence community and therefore does not need to be transmitted to Congress. Can the DNI countermand the inspector general's determination that there was an urgent need? Well, most people who look at the statute, and and I agree with this, think no. It it seems pretty clear that the statute just sees the DNI as a conduit, that once it's been deemed credible by the inspector general, the DNI is supposed to pass it uh, directly along to the Congress. And why was the Justice Department involved in the determination by the DNI? Is that usual? Well, we don't know for sure, but most likely they were asked to give a legal opinion on possible bases for withholding it. There's an office within the Justice Department called the the Office of Legal Counsel, and they're kind of the you know the the interpreter of the hardest legal questions facing the executive, and they're sometimes asked to weigh in uh, on those kinds of questions. So if the person at the heart of the whistleblower's complaint, in this case, supposedly the president, can block the revelation of the complaint, does it then defeat the purpose of a whistleblower law? It does, and it just points to the larger problem that we're starting to talk about uh, in these years of, of President Trump's administration, is that our laws and institutions are really not designed to handle a situation where it's the president himself who is who is causing legal and and foreign policy concerns. What can the Democrats do? Suppose they want to play hardball. So far, we haven't seen much progress in the Judiciary Committee hearings. So what could they do? 
Well, they've already sent a subpoena to uh, the the DNI, although he has said he's not going to show up because he said it was too uh, too quick a timetable. Uh, you know, they could seek to uh, discover the identity of the whistleblower and ask that man or woman to uh, you know to appear or or even subpoena that person to appear before them to directly hear from that person. Um, you know, there's probably some other r- routes they could take, but those are the most obvious. And what they have a continuing problem with people not showing up, people not listening or to subpoenas. Is there any criminal action that can be taken against people people who will not show up for a subpoena? Well, so Congress is in a little bit of a tough spot. The ordinary process is that in for real severe noncompliance with uh, congressional subpoenas is that uh, there would be a request that the executive branch, uh, initiate a criminal prosecution, but obviously um, that w- might work with a if it's a private party who's resisting. But that's very unlikely to work in a case like this, where you know it's the president of the United States and the people who work for him who are resisting. So Congress is in a bit of a bind. Some people say that the Congress itself has a power that's sometimes called inherent contempt, where without going to uh, the courts or going to the executive branch, Congress could, for example, find somebody who is defying Congress. That power hasn't been used for quite some time, and, and its uh, its current vitality is a little bit in dispute. This is certainly increasing calls from for impeachment. Even some people who were on the fence, for example, the uh, Adam Schiff, who leads the House Intelligence Committee, said that this is really crosses the line, basically the Rubicon. So, if they do drop articles of impeachment, is if there is an actual impeachment. Will any of the people who have refused to testify or refused to comply with subpoenas, does, does Congress have any more authority over them? Well, so, you know, Congress has additional authority in the sense that um, you know, it might expand a bit the scope of what they can plausibly said to be looking at if they're also considering impeachment in addition to the things that Congress usually considers, like you know, passing a, a new law or, or understanding how current laws are being enforced. So kind of a, it kind of broadens the scope a bit about what is legitimate congressional inquiry, but it doesn't really give them any more power to demand compliance if people are going to keep refusing to, to show up, refusing to answer questions. You know, if these things end up getting litigated in court, um, a court is probably a, a more receptive to Congress's arguments, though, if um, if there is impeachment proceedings underway. That's why I wonder, with the calls for impeachment, often you hear, well, they'll have more ability to get things moving, but it seems as if they'll still be stuck in the courts, and the courts will be stuck until they get to the Supreme Court. That could well be, yeah. The, you know, going to court always takes a long time. It's not, uh, it's not really a process that's designed to be uh, quick-moving, uh, you know, we want to hear all sides and give the judges time to think about it. So it is a real problem. That's why, you know, some have been suggesting that Congress really, if it wants to begin advancing uh, an inquiry more quickly, needs to be looking uh, to find its own sources of information and having them testify rather than trying to litigate with the executive branch to release, you know, documents that the executive is holding. And, and finally, the president has said there was no quid pro quo in this conversation. Does that make a difference? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, for for example, for the campaign finance laws, it doesn't make a difference. If if the reason that uh, the president was seeking to pressure uh, Ukraine like this 
was to uh, have an intervention that would help him in a 2020 election with Joseph Biden, then it doesn't matter whether there's an express quid pro quo. It's just illegal to uh, seek to have uh, uh, foreign nationals give a thing of value to your presidential campaign. Right. Uh, so, but maybe in other circumstances it could. Thanks so much for helping to straighten out some of this. That's Andrew Kent. He's a professor at Fordham Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.